Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken yeah. dinner! Four! You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Hello and welcome to another golf edition of the Action Network podcast. I am Jason Sobel, senior golf writer for the Action Network. I'll be joined in a little bit by Peter Jennings. But first, I'm joined by a man who had a tremendous career as a player in the game. A man who has a tremendous career still as a broadcaster in the game for NBC and Golf Channel. And a man who might be willing to risk that career by coming on this podcast Roger Maltby, thank you for joining us. You're putting it all on the line right now, are you? Every day I go on air, I'm putting it on the line. No telling what I'm going to say, but I feel pretty comfortable with you. I think we'll be all right. Uh, now, we saw some people a little while ago, and you pointed out to me, and you said, that's the guy who found my check. Uh, that's a pretty good story, isn't it? Well, yeah. Uh, gosh, my rookie year, 1975, I had won a tournament in the Midwest called the Quad Cities Open, now the John Deere Classic, and it was opposite the British Open, and it was a, a tournament that really only came to existence quickly. Uh, they thought there wasn't going to be a tournament. There was. Anyway, I won that tournament. I shot 64 the last round, won $15,000 mm-hmm. for first place. It got me in the Masters, got me in the Tournament of Champions, mm-hmm. made me an exempt player, so it was a, a huge deal for me. And the next tournament was in the, the following week. It was in central Massachusetts in Worcester, Mass, and the tournament was called the Pleasant Valley Classic. So I make the cut on Friday afternoon on the number. One shot higher, I'm not around for the weekend. Saturday, the wind howled, and I shot 66 and lapped the field. And so now I'm in the top 10 and I think a few shots behind. So this is my rookie here. I'm driving around in an old Ford Galaxy 500. Yep. I don't have a credit card. We could cash checks at the tournament site, and that's how I got around. At any rate, come Sunday morning, I just have this feeling that I'm going to win. So I go cash a check for 600 bucks, which was the max. So now I've got like $800 on me. So it's breezy, not as breezy as the day before, but I shoot 67, and I win. And so on the 18th green, we've all seen the picture of the player with the big cardboard dummy check for first place. Which right? we all wish they still did. Well, but they don't anymore, I guess. But Cousmin Gola, the guy that owned the golf 
course in most of central Massachusetts, I think, hands me the real check on the 18th green. Mm -hmm. Little folder, cashable check for 40,000, 40, right? 40,000 yeah. bucks. Hold it up, I put it in my pocket. Went into the clubhouse afterwards. Now I've won two in a row. I'm in tall cotton. And uh, so I buy a round of drinks, and a fellow named, never forget him, a guy named Dick Fouracre, was a courtesy car driver, volunteer that week, and squired me around a little bit. And I see him afterwards, and I said, Dick, where do we go? Come on, we got to go have some fun. And so we end up going to a place called T.O. Flynn's. Now we'll fast forward, because I don't remember a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Next morning... I come to, I learned there's a big difference between waking up and coming to. Mm -hmm. I had come out of this coma, and I don't know how long I sat there before I even remembered I won a tournament, you know? Yeah. And I went, oh, my gosh. I decided, well, you know, I'm pretty cool. I'm going to go buy a newspaper and read all about how cool I am, right? Right. So I throw on my pants, reach in the pocket. I haven't got any money. I haven't got a dime. I haven't got a check. <laughs> oh, jeez. So I call out to the tournament. I get Cousin go on the phone. I said, Cuz, look, I got a problem. What kind of problem could you possibly have? He said, well, I lost the check last night somewhere. Is that a problem? He laughed. He says, don't worry about it. We'll stop payment on it. We'll send you another one. So now my heart rate's back down. And, you know, I'm trying to think, where the heck was I last night? That took a while. I realized that I had gone to this place called T.O. Flynn's. I look up the number in the phone book. I call T.O. Flynn's. Get somebody in there that's cleaning the place and I said I lost something in there last night quite valuable I wondered if you, anything found lost and found he says what, what's the deal so well, I lost a $40,000 check in there last night. he says no I haven't found it okay so in the meantime I'm, I'm thinking oh no he sent a $40,000 check I don't have any money I can't get out of town mm -hmm. so I called back out and said cuz there's a guy left with a check he said uh, he's just going out the door I said can you stop him I said can you send me a check for $39,000 or something so I need some money you know he goes don't worry about it so he fronted me some money and they sent me the check <laughs> and then I get a call from the bar from the owner says we found the check and he said I said don't worry about it They're, they've issued me another one and he says well would you mind if we framed it and kept it here in the bar mm -hmm. and you know used it as a bar lawyer I said help yourself at any rate now I don't see it until what two years ago three years ago covering the Deutsche Bank Championship as it was uh, at TPC Boston went over with a couple of buddies from the New England uh, PGA section and we went and played Pleasant Valley had a great time come off the course and we meet a guy named Paul Parajakis Paul's the head pro over at Pleasant Valley and Paul had played the tour back in the 70s and 80s a little bit he knew a bunch of you guys and uh, you know he starts telling us a story he said you know the story about Malpy and the check I said of course I know the story about Malpy and the check I've talked to Roger about it I've heard it a million times he goes oh yeah that happened here oh, that's pretty good he goes yeah I got the check you want to see it I go, what the hell do you mean you got the check he goes come here we walk upstairs we go into his office we go into a filing cabinet in the bottom of the filing cabinet there's this envelope all folded up and he opens it up and it's your check it's a forty thousand dollar check made out to you on july 27th 1975 he goes yeah do you know roger you're gonna see him this week and i said yeah i'm gonna see him and i know him of course he said yeah you want to tell him i got his check I'm, he's happy to i'm happy to give it over to him and so we wound up having a little ceremony on the range at tpc boston and you got your check back right i mean amazing and a little bits were written up about it uh, certainly locally and this and that so walking around the golf course, you know, I'm getting, hey, Roger, you got your check, you found your check, da-da-da, you know. And I said, no, I think the check found me is what <laughs> happened. 
But it's amazing. The place went out of business. I guess the owner of the bar gave the check back to the club. And really, why they didn't reach out to me about it, I don't know. But apparently, it sat <laughs> in his office for a number he, of years. He had apparently there was a fire at one point. He wanted to, that did not get burned, but he wanted to save it from any sort of you know damage or someone taking it and running away with it. So he stuffed it in a filing cabinet at the bottom of the cabinet. It was sitting there all these years. So in any case, I, I want to stay on the subject of really fun stories, and I might ask you to recite one you've told me before too, but. I'm actually here talking, I've done this before, asking players about their favorite on-course betting stories. Talking to some players this week, I'm going to have it in the next month or so where I have some really good fun stories from players. You told me one once about you and Eddie Pierce in Hattiesburg. I told you that one, yeah. (laughs) The Hattiesburg, Magnolia Classic they called it, Hattiesburg. Pierce was a child wonder kid. I mean, he was touted as a very young man to be the next Jack Nicholson. His talent was consummate. Fair to say Eddie loved the nightlife. A lot. (laughs) And this tournament was opposite the Masters. And this was 1980. And they had a a place there. I'll give them a plug if they're still in business. Cash McCool's. Yes. And you could go in and for 10 bucks, they'd give you a glass and they'd fill it all night. You you bought your glass and they'd fill it all night. Mm -hmm. So Eddie had a heck of a time. A heck of a time. When he first got there, they gave him a glass. He gave him 10 bucks. And he goes, that's all I get is an empty glass. And he threw it against a brick wall and broke. So they took him downtown. Uh, but he knew a judge in town. He called the judge. judge he played the pro-am with the judge. Came back. Anyway, we're playing a practice round. This game coming up the next day. And we got uh, George Cadle and Frank Connor. And uh, we stand there in the first tee. And, and Eddie's a mess. And nobody wants Eddie, you know. They're going, well, we got to flip this. And I said, I'll take Eddie. So we get up on the first tee. Eddie cold tops it maybe 50 yards. And he's laughing. And I'm thinking, oh, God, this is going to get expensive. At any rate, Eddie shoots 64. <laughs> he could play hurt. <laughs> and we absolutely wore those guys out. And on both nines, Gambling game, understanding, pressing, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. He birdied 8 and 9 and 17 and 18. Oh. <laughs> so he killed him. <laughs> I did nothing, and we beat the dickens out of him. You know, we talk so much on this podcast, especially at Action Network, is obviously involved in gambling, and there's obviously a, a, a strong relationship, a strong bond in golf between the game itself and betting. Anyone who's ever played goes out, whether you're playing a 25-cent Nassau with Grandpa or whether you're out playing for big money, there's, there's always something on the line. There's always something to be playing for. Now that gambling's becoming more regulated and legal in the United States, and we're seeing more of it on tour. Do you see it being part of the PGA Tour out here? Well, maybe players aren't necessarily thinking about it, but look, the fans are following certain players and uh, and interested in, you know, in them for reasons other than just, I want to watch them play golf. Uh, do you see this becoming sort of um, a, a bigger thing around the game itself? Well, first of all, I think it's rather inevitable yeah. that that day is coming. Now, as to whether I think that's good or not, that's another issue there was well before my time on tour which started in the mid-70s the tour made edicts about gambling on site and the players so mm-hmm. on and so forth because when there wasn't much in the way of uh, uh, prize money there were guys that play cards with the members this and that fleece them out of a lot of money and gambling wasn't allowed yeah on site that was very strictly regulated and still uh, is yeah and I, I guess there's some good reasons for that mm-hmm. so i don't know that i i necessarily think that's all good for the game 
I mean, I, I just have scenarios where I think, you know, somebody, some player's leading a tournament by a couple of shots and he gets a phone call late at night and says, probably not a good idea for you to shoot better than 73 tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know that that will happen, but I, I could see where it could potentially happen. Right. Would that be good for the game? No. Of course it, not. It really yeah. wouldn't. So, uh, I think, I, nevertheless, I think, yes, there will be gambling yeah. involving golf. So we'll see. But I expect it to be part of our future in the game. So we're back here at Eastlake. Same tournament, same place, new date, new format. What do you make of all this? What Do you like being here in August instead of September? you like getting out of the way of football season? Do you like the way the scoring system is set up where uh, Justin Thomas will come into things at 10 under par coming into the week? Uh, what do you think about how they've set everything up here? Well, yes, and my thrill to be back here, yes, East Lake is a magnificent place. Isn't it's it? Wonderful, yeah. and, and it's always a pleasure to be here. Being here a month earlier, I have not been here in August, and historically we've seen that August is the lowest scoring month on tour. We just saw what they did to Medina in Chicago sure. last week because of the heat and the humidity and so on. Golf courses have to be watered more. We're still at the time of year, and as we're facing this week, the shot of thunderstorms every afternoon. So... Are they going to see a softer, easier golf course than they might have seen a month later mm-hmm. when things have kind of dried out and the humidity's gone down? They don't have to water as much, not as many rainstorms. Time will tell. We don't know. As to the scoring uh, situation this year, uh, new. So jury's out a little bit. We'll have to see. But uh, I think it simplifies it in a lot of ways for the viewer in particular mm-hmm. because there's only going to be one trophy. There's not going to be a tour championship winner and a FedEx Cup champion. Right. I think that is simpler and, and easier for the spectators and, and, and viewers to understand. You're also going to have leaderboards that they can read, basically. I mean, whoever's the most under par is winning this mm-hmm. thing, and, and that makes sense. As to the handicapping, if that would be the right term, and I'm not sure it is, but starting somebody at 10 under and the next is 8 under, and then they start... You know, seven. Then they group them at five and group them at four. You know, if that's the right thing, I don't know. And I think this year's event will be a litmus test for setting that up. But on the whole, I like it, and I think I think it'll be good for the tournament. I think it'll be good for the tour. So I'm going into this week with the highest of anticipation. It's going to be a pressure-packed tournament. Yeah. You know, you got to understand that if we played one-round tournaments on the PGA Tour. There'd be a whole lot of first-time winners. Sure. Two rounds, not quite so many first-time winners. Mm-hmm. Three rounds, fewer yet. Four rounds, fewer yet. This is a year-long tournament. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the advantage that the great players, the very best players, have. Yeah. Just the longer you play, the better chances they're going to win. So you really got to look at this as like we're on about the 15th hole of this year-long tournament. And we're coming down to the last few holes to see who's going to take it all. And uh, I think it's going to be pretty exciting. I really do. As I said the other day, I'm starting this week, like most weeks, over par, well over par. You're not going to win. Someday you and I can start under par for a tournament. Sounds really nice. I'd like to be 10 under par on Monday morning before the week even started. There you go. There you go. Certainly this week you do. Yeah, exactly. So, Roger, thanks so much for joining us here. Pleasure. Uh, Have a great week. And I will see you out there on the course all week. I'll Jason, be walking alongside you. Me. I appreciate it. Man, I love talking to Roger. That was so much fun. Uh, people always say to me, you know, wow, it's so cool being out there on the PGA Tour. You get to talk to Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy and Phil Mickelson and all these guys. And, yes, that part is all very cool. But 
I get to talk to guys like Roger Malpe, and that's one of the most fun parts of, of this job. So i uh, like to bring in now Peter Jennings, of course, uh, uh, obviously a regular, usually the host of this podcast. Uh, Drew Stoltz, a.k.a. The Sleaze, is MIA this week. He is actually trying to qualify for the Mid-Am, so we wish him luck, of course. And Peter, it's uh, an interesting week, to say the least. I think it's probably less interesting from a gambling and fantasy and DFS standpoint than most other weeks, uh, not only with a 30-man field, but with a staggered scoring format. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and coming off last week, which I uh, love seeing JT win, but fortunately did not have any JT, or maybe I had like one share, and he was the chalkiest golfer on the slate. So love last week. It actually even, the result was obviously bad, but I thought the tournament was really cool, and it's JT's arguably my favorite golfer on tour, so I was excited to see him win. But now you have an interesting situation where we're coming into our championship. There's only 30 guys. Tough to bet it. DFS pricing, they adjusted the pricing based, uh, you know, with how the finish is going to be. So Justin Thomas is now 15,400, whereas Justin Rose is 6,900. So some interesting decisions, but I agree overall with the limited field. It's, it's hard to find a lot of value. I did a little research, Peter, as I wrote in a, a piece on the Action Network right now. And I found that of the 29 players who are trailing by some sort of deficit entering the first round this week, 10 of them, just over a third of the field, have actually made up that deficit from the end of a round at some point during their careers. What I mean by that is Webb Simpson and Justin Rose, who have made up the biggest deficit, have come back from being down eight after, whether it was the first round, second round, or third round, come back from eight shots and actually won a golf tournament. They're down eight right now. So uh, there are 10 players who have done that in the past. Doesn't necessarily mean that those are the only players who can do it, but it's interesting to look at it from that perspective. The other side of the coin is that Justin Thomas, when he has a two-stroke or more lead after any round, is really, really good. He loves playing with the lead. He is two-for-two two converting a two-shot first-round lead, which is extremely impressive because guys don't do that very often. Two-for-two two with a two-shot or better second-round lead and four-for-five with a two-shot or better third-round lead, the only one he hasn't won was the Genesis Open earlier this year where he lost to J.B. Holmes and finished in second place. So if we look at all that past history and we try to come up with some sort of conclusion, I guess uh, there's two conflicting conclusions from that. One is that, first of all, there are 10 players who have a legitimate chance based on past history of coming from behind and beating J.T. The second conclusion is that J.T. doesn't like letting people come from behind and beat him when he has a two-shot lead. Yeah, and it just presents a weird betting situation like, and also trying to figure out ownership for DFS is very hard because there are some higher value picks. So I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm struggling to find a lot of value, but it's going to be exciting. I actually like the format overall. I think finishing now, football's right here. I think it's a perfect timing and I still love the new schedule, but this is definitely the, the toughest week just given the uh, limited field. Yeah, it really is. And I've started making a few DFS lineups and basically the way I'm looking at it is, Fade JT and try to get lucky with some other guys. And I think that's kind of what you have to do. I think uh, if JT was the chalkiest play on the board last week in Chicago in a 70-man BMW championship field, he's going to be beyond chalky this week. I think everyone's going to jump on JT, who obviously has the lead already. So I'm looking at guys like John Rahm and Webb Simpson, maybe even Justin Rose and Brant Snedeker, guys who are probably not in it to start but could make a nice run and climb up the leaderboard and look if you get lucky maybe it happens and I will say the one thing that JT has going against him is that over the course of the last I think it's going back about 10 weeks now and I gotta check Patrick Reed last week but there have been 
Seven of the last 10 winners on the PGA Tour have played the very next week. And of those seven, all of them have shot in the 60s in their first round. So four days after winning, they're all still hot. They all still got some momentum. They're all still feeling it, and they all play well. What happens, though, is that by and large, every single one of those players, I got to check where Patrick Reed finished last week, but until Patrick Reed, every single one of them finished outside the top 30, which basically means they all start hot, they all run out of gas, they all lose steam, and they all fall apart by the end of the weekend. And so if you're looking at that as some sort of model, some sort of trend, and you're saying, well, what should we expect from JT? Based on that, if he goes out and plays really well on Thursday, everyone's going to say, man, this thing's over. He extended his lead from two to four, and the rest of the thing's just going to be a coronation. Slow down a little bit, because what we've seen over the last two and a half months is that that doesn't necessarily happen on a week-in, week-out basis. So I think there might be some value in not betting the tournament going into it, but if JT extends that lead on Thursday afternoon, maybe you look at the overnight lines on Thursday night, Friday morning, and you find some value in there, and you, you bet a couple of guys who are maybe bigger odds going into the final 54 holes than they are right now. Yeah, I think that's an interesting strategy. I'm just excited to see some good golf, too. I mean, these guys are playing well. Uh, JT yeah. had you know a couple hiccups at par five last week, but for the most part, it's fun to see JT play aggressive with the lead and I mean, I'm a huge JT fan. I hope I hope he's right there, but I hope someone gives him a little bit of a challenge over the weekend. And uh, I guess transitioning into it, if I had to pick one guy that I think could catch him, I mean, Cantley's the chalk answer, uh, but mm-hmm. I'd probably pick Rory as the next guy that could could make a just huge charge. I mean, if Rory comes out lightning hot, I think he has a chance. He was the favorite in the betting markets last week by a decent bit with the closing lines. Who would be your favorite, Sobel, to to basically catch him at this point? Yeah, you're probably right about that with Rory. I like Cantley a lot. Something tells me that he's just not quite there. Cantley's a guy that I always think has a high ceiling, but he's also got a high floor, and so he makes for a safe DFS option. I'm just not sure that he's ready to go out there and get this thing. Rory, if you think about his mentality, you think about his mindset, putting Rory four shots behind the leader almost plays right into everything that's right about Rory and everything that, that kind of works for him on, on a regular basis. Uh, we've seen so many times over the last couple of years where he is down by a similar number going into the final round and has a backdoor, quote-unquote, top 10, top 5, whatever it might be. I hate that term, backdoor. It always has negative connotations. What I always say is, would you rather Rory shoot 78 in those situations and finish in 43rd place? I mean, uh, playing your best golf when you're – semi in contention going into the final round shouldn't be looked at as a negative but sometimes it it tends to be when when in the case of Rory McIlroy but yeah I I I tend to agree with you that Rory can come back and uh and certainly win this thing but I I mean we look at Peter from a perspective of two shots going into the final round is still game on for everybody it's not necessarily this thing is over two shots with 72 holes to play that's a long way to go you're right exactly so I mean, anything can happen. I'm rooting for a JT Rory finish. Actually, as of now, I don't have any bets. We'll see what happens once the tournament starts. But in terms of DFS, I have a couple plays. Uh, Do you have any bets that you like, Sobel? You know, I may do a a quick one on on Rom or or Webb Simpson outright. I just don't love the number on Rory. Rory's less than 10 to 1. I kind of have a rule of thumb that, I mean, even in a limited field, less than 10 to 1 just doesn't really make me too interested. Uh, matchups, uh, I think you can find some matchups out there. Kevin Kisner is a guy that I really like a lot. And, uh, Kisner is up against, it may have been like DeChambeau or somebody like that, um, who's kind of towards the bottom of the leaderboard. And I, I think Kisner on Bermuda Greens, on a short, tight track, 
Um, he seems excited to be here as opposed to some guys who are maybe just kind of playing out the string. I, I think Kevin Kisner could have a really nice week if he can find a bet somewhere, and not all books have it, but a bet for the what they're calling it like the stroke winner or whatever it might be, as if everybody started at even par, which is what the PGA Tour won't let anyone talk about and won't let the the broadcast uh, mention, but we all know what's going on. We'll all be keeping track of it. I think Kevin Kisner can make a run at it from that standpoint, that perspective. Yeah, that's interesting, and maybe that's a fun way to look at it. See if you can find some arbitrage, or it probably won't exist directly, but maybe you can find some inefficiencies with uh, stroke play bets versus uh, – you know, the outright markets, uh, baked, you know, with basically where they are baked in already with JT starting off with the lead and on the way down. I think Justin Rose is going to be the one guy who's going to end up being pretty chalky uh, of the cheap guys. And I guess I could be wrong, but 6,900, I feel like there's a lot of upside there. He's definitely the best golfer relative to his price. And finishing points matter a lot in DFS, but making a lot of birdies uh, matters a lot too. And you get the best players in the world. We saw it last week, obviously, the conditions – and Medina were very soft and receptive and created really good scoring environment. But yeah. these guys are going to make birdies pretty much everywhere they go, like especially yeah. these 30 guys. I'm still looking to target, you know, trying to find value relative to price. You have to bake in the finishing odds too, but I do think Justin Rose is going to be chalking his price. Yeah, as Roger mentioned earlier, the, uh, the month of August has traditionally shown to have the lowest scoring average of any month on the PGA Tour. And now August, of course, happens to host all the uh, FedEx Cup playoff events, which um, you know I know people are grousing about the fact that Medina at 7,600 yards played to 25 under winning score. But uh, look, you get soft conditions. It just doesn't matter how long the golf course is. And I think these guys have proven it. One record, Peter, has already been broken this week, and I'm not sure that we will see it not broken any other time. Justin Thomas on DraftKings is 15,500. Charles Howell's at the bottom of the barrel this week at 5,000. There is a $10,500 discrepancy between first and last in salary on the board. I'm guessing, and you know more about these things than I do, I'm guessing that has never even approached that level, and I'm guessing until maybe next year's Tour Championship, it will never again reach that kind of level. Am I right in that assumption? Yeah, you're, you're 100% right. It's very unique, and it does create for some interesting strategies. So the DFS lineups, it makes it uh, different than we've had in the past. And I like the changes. And, uh, you know, this week, you know, playing fantasy with only 30 golfers, overlap becomes a really big deal. So I kind of like this. And, uh, yeah, the key now is figuring out where can we find some value that might be contrarian, which that leads us into the DK lineup. So Zobel, we don't have to worry about Sleaze screwing up our lineup here. Well, we almost need Sleaze this week because he's the one that keeps missing cuts for us. There's no missed cut this week. So uh, Sleaze actually would have gotten a couple guys inside the number. A couple uh, top 30 finishes for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I- I'm going to start with the guy that I mentioned earlier. I'm going to go very low on the board, but I think it's going to be a good week for Kevin Kisner. Obviously, I don't think he's going to come back and win this thing, but looking at how things play out on DraftKings, if he moves up to a third, fourth, fifth place, uh, that could be very, very valuable in a lineup. So I, I like Kisner way down there at 6,600. Okay, I like that. One guy who's not playing well, but you'll never see this price ever again, and I'm just going to take it. I think Rose is the chalk. There's some other good golfers that are compelling here, but I'll take Dustin Johnson and hope that he figures it out. Um, he's been bad relative to DJ form, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gamble that he has uh, somewhat of a decent finish here. I mean, Dustin Johnson, 8,400. You're getting a huge discount. He's not where he normally is, and I don't know. I know you probably don't love that pick, but at that price, uh, I think he's fine. 
I don't hate it. I, I don't love Dustin this week, but my, my theory this week is almost just do what you think everyone else is not going to do. Zig when everybody else zags, and maybe get lucky and pull a lineup that um, is a little different than everybody else. So if DJ is going to be 7 8 9% owned, it might be worth having him in a lineup. So I, I don't hate it. Like I said, I, I don't love DJ this week, but I just love picking guys that aren't going to be in a whole lot of lineups. I think that one works. Um, I'm going to go with a similar play. I, I'm kind of torn between two other guys who are a little bit further down the board. I was going to leave us some cash um, after this to to go with, but I guess this guy's right about the average um, that we have remaining. Tony Finau, uh, I like a lot. Obviously playing really well. At some point, um, it would almost be poetic justice or you know, sort of uh, Murphy's Law or whatever the case might be that Tony Finau would come out and put together the best four-round total of anybody in the field and finally claim that uh, first big win. You know, he's got one win already from a few years ago, but in an opposite alternate field event, finally that first first big win against a big field. And he won't actually get credit for the win because somebody else started in front of him. So um, it would almost be kind of a, uh, a Murphy's law type of deal for Finau, but I like Finau this week, 8,800. Let's lock him in. Okay. I like that too. I think we fade the really top end, but let's go, let's go to Rory. I like that call. We'll see if he ends up being chalky. And this lineup's looking good, but every lineup's going to look good because you have the top 30 players in the world. Yeah, so we've got 7,800 per player left. I'm going to go low and leave you with some money. I'm going to go with a guy. Yeah, I can give you some money here. Sung J.M. has played oh, yeah. just about every week. I believe he's played all but – two weeks that he's been eligible to play on the PGA Tour this year, which is, if not the Rookie of the Year award, at least the Ironman award this year. Uh, he's made 24 of 33 cuts, seven top tens, and really seems to be peaking somehow, uh, even though he's played so much golf. The guy's a machine. So uh, I'm going to go Sungjae at a really, really discounted price of 5900 If for no other reason than that gives you some money to play with on the board, I'm going to let you take one of the top dogs that's uh, a little higher up there with 9,700 left for us. All right, let's go. Let's go, Xander. Uh, I tend to leave money on some salaries here, but Matsuyama, I have a feeling, will be chalk. Uh, maybe Webb Simpson's chalk, so Xander sneaks in at, at 95. Uh, I think that's a pretty good squad. I like that. So going down the list, we've got Tony Finau, Sungjae Im, Dustin Johnson, Kevin Kisner, Rory McIlroy, and Xander Shoffley. The way I look at it this week, Peter, why not? Uh, you know, you just never know what's going to happen this week. We would think that JT is at least going to be in the mix and at least going to be, if not the winner, uh, very close to it. And uh, you'd think he's going to be very chalky because of it. So at least try to mix it up a little bit and try to find guys that aren't going to be highly owned. So uh, I like the theory behind it, and, and I like the lineup we put together there. Yeah, I like it too. And uh, it's definitely too. One other thing, people will have a – it's a, a little tougher to translate the betting markets into DFS. and. There's some additional game theory. So if you can find some guy with an edge um, and really find someone contrarian, I do think it's compelling. And DraftKings, of course, still has really big tournaments. So it should be a fun week. Yeah, it should be fun. And look, for those willing to pivot, if you're looking at the Scandinavian Invitation, which I didn't even know was a thing. It used to be called the Nordea Masters. Found out about the Scandinavian Invitation only when Henrik Stenson withdrew from the FedEx Cup playoffs to rest up for the Scandinavian Invitation, which is really fun to say. If you're sitting at home or in your car right now, just go ahead and say out loud Scandinavian Invitation like 10 times. Uh, you'll enjoy it. So a couple guys I'm looking at, if not Stenson, I think Alex Norin is going to have a really nice week. Hayden Porsches I was on last week, and then it's a short, tight track, about 68.50. Look at guys like Ashley Chesters and Matthew Southgate, who are top 10 in both fairways 
and greens and regulation on the European tour this year. How's that for some analysis, Peter? Solid. I mean, you're grinding, Sobel. I'm impressed. And congrats. Right. We didn't mention before, you'll be, uh, you announced today that you'll be doing series for the PGA Tour. So there's a lot of Jason Sobel fans out there, and uh, we're going to get more of you. So that's great. I'm excited about it. And uh, I can thank you and Sleaze for sort of helping with my radio type chops on the podcast here. So uh, thank you for everything. Thank you all the guys for uh, listening every week. And um, yeah, it's going to be fun on there, but I'm not going anywhere. I want to assure everybody that I'm doing just as much, if not more work for Action Network than ever before. So that's just some other fun stuff on the side. So uh, yeah, that'll be a good time. This might be our last one for a while. And it kind of feels like, you know, we're almost, instead of a big bang finish to the end of the year, we're almost kind of fading away without our third man on our team here this week. And, and we wish Sleaze some uh, big time luck and uh, not that he needs the luck, but uh, we hope he gets through at the mid-am this week. And uh, it's been a fun year, man. And if this is indeed the, uh, the last one we're doing together for a little while as we shut it down going into football season, man, I have enjoyed this immensely. One of my highlights of the entire week is talking to you guys every single week. It's been awesome. We have a great text thread going, and uh, it's been a great golf season. Tiger winning the Masters all the way through all the great events. And, yeah, Sleeves will take the good luck. Uh, hopefully he qualifies. And uh, so we'll congrats again with uh, Sirius. And hopefully we end uh, with a bang for people out there. Hopefully it's a good week for you uh, in NFL seasons here uh, right after the Tour Championship. So as a sports fan, you got to be salivating. Can't wait. And as a golf writer and a guy that covers this game, getting out of the way before football season is uh, at least personally satisfactory uh, to me. I, I think this is going to be um, a really fun way to end the season this week. And good luck to everybody out there, whether you're making some bets on guys who are a little bit further down the leaderboard, whether you're trying to uh, grind out some DFS lineups. Good luck to you. Good luck to Sleaze. Good luck to everybody. And thank you for listening. And now, it's time for the Super Sneaky Sleazy Pick of the Week. 